Grab your Bible and turn with me to Romans chapter 1. You guys thought we were done with Romans, didn't you? Yeah, I see some funny faces cut back at me. No, we're, we're going to start over at the beginning. Uh, we're going to do it all again, see if it sticks this time, okay? Uh, no, I'm kidding. Kidding, kidding. Today is truly, I promise, the last message of this series. It's the summary of the book of Romans. It's kind of like school. Do you remember in school, right before the, uh, at the end of the year, you'd have that big review right before the big final comprehensive exam? Well, I figured, you know, since this month, it's back to school month for all our kids, in honor of that occasion, we are going to have our own final exam. Everybody said, yeah. Thank you. It's really, it's really more of a pop quiz, uh, but it is required if you want to graduate this sermon series, okay? Uh, or else you get sent back to remedial Romans. Um, but you don't need a piece of paper. You don't need a number two pencil. All you need is your highly intelligent brain, which is just bursting with information. Uh, and today's pop quiz is, of course, it's on the book of Romans. We, we've now preached 38 sermons on this book, very first verse to the last. Has anyone been here for every single sermon in Romans? Don't feel bad because I haven't either. Uh, I missed a few myself. It's, it's been a year. It's been a whole year, and we, we've covered a lot of ground. And those of you who have been here with us along the way know that we've added into this series summary messages, messages designed to help us pause and reflect on what Romans is really about. Because it's easy in a big book like this to lose sight of the big picture and miss the point of the whole thing. So today, it is our final message. It's the summary of the whole book. Yes, we're going to cover the entire book of Romans in the next 30 minutes. But first, a pop quiz. Are you ready? This is an oral exam, okay, meaning I want you to say the answer out loud. We're going to find out who's been listening and who's been sleeping, all right? You ready? Question number one. What book have we been preaching through? Oh, boy, okay. The Bible is... Correct. But yes, Romans is the answer I was looking for. If you missed that one, we were going to be in trouble. Number two, who wrote the book of Romans? Very good. I see our kids down here know it. So that means if you don't know it, come on. Number three, to what city did Paul send this letter? Okay, a little less confidence there, but I heard some, I heard some answers. Heard some, it's in the name, in case you're wondering. Uh, how about this one? Question number four, how many chapters are in this book? Hey, y'all were ready for that. Good job. All right, now it's time for some harder ones, okay? Really think. Question number five, what kind of tree does Paul use as a metaphor in Romans 11? Who said that? Olive tree, Jackie, of course. Yes, it was an olive tree. First service, they said fig tree, so they have all been out. They're done. Um, question number six, number six, who was the most likely person Scholars say that delivered this letter. What was her name? Phoebe. Thank you, Amber. You didn't look at my notes, did you? Okay. Uh, question number seven. Where did Paul say he wanted to go after he visited Rome? Spain. Spain. Come on, be confident. I heard some people whispering over there. Spain. It's, you got it. You're right. Okay, here, last one. Number eight, fill in the blank. For I am not ashamed of the... Hey. You got that one, buddy. I'm proud of you. And what verse is that? Anybody know what verse? Romans 1.16. You got it. Well, how'd you do? Did anybody get all of them right? 
I think some of our kids might have got them right. If you did get them all right, you get a very special prize today. It's called Treasure in Heaven. Uh, congratulations. But those verses, we just said Romans 1, 16, 17. We, we said from the whole beginning of this series that that is the thesis. That's the big idea of this whole thing. In fact, the rest of the book is, is really a fleshing out of these two verses. So if we're going to summarize Romans, we've got to start there. Look with me now at Romans 1, 16 and 17. Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's the big point. That's it. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus saves. And he wants us to see through this letter how the gospel changes everything for those who believe it. So this morning, as we walk through this letter one more time, I want to give you four declarations. Four declarations that Paul makes in the four major sections of this book, all of it building on Romans 1, 16 and 17. And most importantly, I want us to see how these aren't just declarations for Paul, but they're for all of us who trust in Jesus. Here's the first declaration. You ready? Number one, I am not ashamed because of the gospel's capacity. We find this declaration in the first three chapters of Romans. And Paul knew that in order for us to understand why the gospel is good news, we've got to know first the bad news. So these first three chapters, they were a little rough, a little straight to the punch. But you know, we can't, can't hide the truth simply because it's uncomfortable. We will never fully grasp the beauty of our salvation unless first we know what we've been saved from. So Paul, he went right into it. Look at Romans 1, 18 through 20. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There's a big problem that all of us face. God has revealed himself to everyone. So that means there's really no such thing as an atheist. Everyone has some sort of knowledge deep down that God exists, and yet what do we do? We reject him. All of us, we suppress that truth about God, and this is what's led us and our world to the state it's in today. Here's what happened. Look at Romans 1, 18 through 30, or sorry, Romans 1, 28 through 32. Here's what Paul says is the result of our rejection of God. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And that's, that's tough. Right, but that's all of us, right? Remember, he even threw in there disobedient to parents. So you know, there's none of us getting out of this. That's why Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned. So it's not just people out there in the big, bad, scary world. It's people in here. It's us. We've all rejected the truth about God and turned to sin. And things only get worse from here. 
Because what makes us so depraved is not just that we reject God, but we also try to put other things in his place. We try to make our own gods. We, we worship other things, and we try to live life without him. We saw that in Romans chapter 2. We try to be moral people. We try to be religious people. That was the issue that Paul said with the Jewish people of his day. They thought they could fix their sin problem and achieve their own salvation by being good. But yet he said, we, we can't do it on our own. This reminds me of my two-year-old son. When children turn two, something dark and sinister happens. They go from being your sweet little angel baby to agents of chaos. They want to be independent. They, they want to do everything themselves. And, and so my son, he, he wants to buckle himself in his car seat. He wants to brush his own teeth. He wants to clean up his own messes. And if I try to help him, what does he do? He gets mad. He doesn't like it. And this is a normal part of growing up. Like, it's actually a good thing to learn to be independent. I, I want my son to be able to care for himself, to clean up after himself. But there are some things he still needs me to help with. There are some things he should not do on his own. Because guess what? When he tries to clean up a mess, he just makes a bigger mess. And this is really what's at the heart of our spiritual condition. You see, we were created by God for God. We were created to live for his glory in the way he designed, but we don't want him. We don't want God. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. We want to be our own God. So Satan told them to commit the first sin. He said, hey, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. They thought, oh, that's what we want. That's what we want, to be our own gods. That's what we still want today. We want to make our own rules and live our own way. We want to be independent from God, so we try to do it all on our own. And we make a mess. We try to clean it up, and we make a bigger mess. So here's how Paul sums up our spiritual condition left to our own devices. Flip over to Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That's us in a nutshell. And it's not a pretty picture. We have all turned away from God. We've sinned against him. We've worshipped idols. we tried to save ourselves. And as a result, we end up empty, lost, and deserving of God's judgment for all eternity. But praise God, the book does not end there. There's more to be said in Romans 3. So look now at verses 23 and 26 of chapter 3. 23 through 26. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We are justified. That means to be made right with God, to be forgiven, to be accepted by him and declared innocent. You may remember we said it like this. We said to be justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. And just as if I'd always obeyed. And his justification, notice it comes by his grace as a gift. 
So our salvation, our justification is not based on anything we've done. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Rather, it's freely given as a gift. And that's possible through the redemption of Jesus. God put his son Jesus forward as a propitiation. Do you remember that big word? It made us sound really smart. That word means to turn away, to, to remove God's wrath. What this means is that on the cross, when, when Jesus died, he took the wrath that God has towards our sin, and he took that in our place so that you and me, so that we could be forgiven. That's the idea of propitiation. That's why the cross is everything. Because with putting his son Jesus on the cross, God was simultaneously just, meaning he dealt fairly with sin, and also the justifier, meaning he made us right with him. And our simple response, as that passage says, is to receive it in faith. When we put our faith in Jesus, that justification, that, that forgiveness becomes ours. And we're saved. That's the gospel message Paul laid out in Romans 1 through 3. And he's saying, I am not ashamed because of the gospel's capacity. That word capacity means the ability or the power to do something. When something is heavy, we might say, do you have the capacity to lift it? When something is hard, do you have the capacity to accomplish it? Think then about the capacity or the power of the gospel. I mean, what else could take a rebellious sinner and make him a son? What else could wipe away the depth of our sin? What else could save us from the judgment we deserve? Only the gospel. The good news about Jesus could do that. We have no other hope in this life or the next. The gospel is not just able to save. It's the only thing that can save. Because our salvation is not dependent on the gospel, is dependent on the gospel, not on us, then that means it can save anyone. Its capacity is so big that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. No one is too far gone to be saved. There's no one beyond the reach of the, the gospel's power. So we say, I am not ashamed of the gospel's capacity. That's the first declaration of the first part of Romans. Here's the second, number two. I am not ashamed because of the gospel's Savior. The second declaration is a summary of Romans 4 through 8. Man, there's a ton in those chapters. There's so much we covered. We can't do it all again today. But to sum this section up, Paul really explained two key things. One, he said the only right response to the gospel is faith. And two, he said the only right object of our faith is Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity different from every other religion and belief system in the world today. At the heart of the Christian message, there is not a list of rules or a set of doctrines or even a religious text. Rather, at the heart of the Christian message is a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is the gospel Savior, and this whole thing hangs on him, who he is and what he's done. So in Romans 4, we see that Abraham placed his faith in the promise of Jesus to come. Romans 5, we see that faith in Jesus brings peace with God and eternal life rather than eternal death. In Romans 6, we see that faith in Jesus means we've died to sin and are now slaves to righteousness. In Romans 7, we see that faith in Jesus frees us from the law and gives us a new way to live in the Spirit. And then we come to Romans 8 which I believe could be the greatest chapter in the Bible. So flip there with me now to Romans 8. 
Look at those first two verses. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Notice how it's all possible. He said it's in Christ Jesus. And then the big finish to chapter 8. Look over there, Romans 8, verses 38, 39. He says, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that? Where's the love of God? Where is all this made possible? It's in Christ Jesus. So man, Paul's screaming out in these chapters. He's saying, I'm not ashamed because of the gospel Savior. There is no one and no thing like Jesus. Jesus is everything. He's it. He's the reason we exist. He's the reason we have life. Without him, we are nothing. So let me challenge you. You cannot make too big of a deal about Jesus. You could spend every word you have talking about him. You could spend every moment you have serving him. You could spend every breath you have praising him, and that would not be too much. There is no such thing as too much Jesus. But there is a temptation today to minimize Jesus. Our culture doesn't mind talking about God or faith, even prayer in a generic way. But the name of Jesus, that's too much for some. And even as Christians, like we know Jesus is important. We think, I'm thankful for him, I like him, I go to church, I serve him when I can, I even talk to him. But he's more a part of my life rather than my life. Like He's somewhere towards the top of my list, but you know, i got a lot going on. Friends, that can't be. That just can't be. Jesus cannot be just a friend. He also must be master and Lord. He's not called us to add him onto our lives. He's called us to take up our cross and give him everything. So I want to encourage you again. You cannot make too big of a deal about Jesus. Some people will think you're crazy or radical. That's okay. So when you talk to people, talk about Jesus. When you pray or sing, praise Jesus. When you work at your job, work for Jesus. When you interact with others, point them to Jesus. When you rest at home, rest in Jesus. When you sit and think about your life, think about Jesus. When you're with your kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews, teach them about Jesus. When you come to church, grow in Jesus. When you go out in public, don't be ashamed to speak about Jesus. And every opportunity you have, live like Jesus. The gospel is good news. Because of Jesus. So therefore, we are not ashamed because of our Savior. That's Romans 4 through 8, our second declaration. Here's the third. Number three, I am not ashamed because of the gospel's promises. That's the declaration of the third section, which is Romans 9 through 11. And you'll remember that, that was the toughest section we went through because Paul was explaining what he meant when he said the gospel's to the Jew first and then to the Greek so he really dug into some tough stuff. He talked about God's election and our free choice. 
He talked about why the Jewish people had rejected Christ on the whole and how that had led to the gospel going to the Gentiles. So we dealt with some deep theological issues and also some particular cultural issues. And that made it easy for us to, to look at this section of the letter and conclude, well, that doesn't really mean much for us today. But that could not be more wrong. Romans 9 through 11 is all about the promises of God. And those promises include us today. One of the key things we learn from the promises in this section is that God has a plan. He has a plan that he designed in eternity past and that will find its culmination in eternity future. And this is the grand plan for all of creation. It's, it's God's redemption. He's, he's redeeming all of creation for his glory. He's creating a people for himself from every tribe, nation, and tongue. And that means that the events happening in the world today, in our nation, and in our lives, are not meaningless. God did not just wind up the clock of creation and let it go. He's not just sitting back watching things happen. No, if God has a plan, that means he will see it through. He's actively working. He's always working. He's always up to something. And everything in creation is moving towards that final destination of the plan. This past summer, my family and I, we went on vacation to Colorado. First time. Loved it. And, you know, we decided uh, so that we could see the wide expanse of Kansas. We said, hey, let's drive out there. Let's drive and see all the scenery. And I got to see all these huge windmills. That was, that was crazy. All the, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And the drive down there, you've probably done it. It's very simple. It's straight down I-70. Uh, pretty boring. <laughs> but on the way back, we went a different way. And I am terrible with directions. I always use a GPS. And for some reason... Still unknown to me, my GPS decided to take me a different route. And my wife, she was a little concerned. Because the trip back didn't look anything like the trip down. We were on two-lane highways and back roads, and we were going through small towns with no red lights, and we were running low on gas, and the kids were screaming because they were hungry, and we had to use the bathroom. But I told her, I said, look, the GPS says this route will get us home, all right? It may look a little different. We may have to use the bathroom on the side of the road, but we know where we're going, and we will make it home, I promise. And eventually, eventually, we did. <laughs> we made it back home alive. And you know, that's often the way God's plan looks to us. We get nervous because it looks like we're lost. Like we don't see any familiar surroundings. We wonder how this could possibly turn out for good. But along the way, we trust God's plan. We trust in his promises that he will do what he said he will do. He said he's working all things together for our good. He said he's forming us into the image of his son. He said that one day we'll be with him in a perfect place forever. Paul knew those promises. He laid them out in Romans 9 through 11. And he chose to trust in them. That is why he was not ashamed of the gospel. And he concluded chapter 11 with these powerful words. Flip over to the very end of 11. Verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's the third declaration of the book of Romans. I am not ashamed because of the gospel's promises. Here's the fourth and last, number four. I am not ashamed because of the gospel's transformation. Paul spent the last chapters, 12 through 16, laying out the practical effects of what happens when you believe the gospel. He said the gospel is the power of salvation. And he wants us to see that that power is not just the past tense power. We don't just get saved and get our ticket to heaven and get on with our lives. But the gospel has a continual transforming effect. This is explained best in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, don't miss how radical this message is right here. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you've probably heard these verses, you've heard this language. But to present your body as a living sacrifice, that, that, that is a radical message. It's to lay down your life, to surrender, to give up your personal autonomy, to crucify yourself on the altar and sacrifice to God. This is the way of the gospel. This is the way of transformation. Listen, if you follow Jesus, this is what you signed up for. And by sacrificing your life, you're choosing to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And again, there's so much here to be said. But I just want to emphasize again, the all or nothing, radical nature of the Christian life. If you really believe this stuff, if you really want to follow Jesus, this, this is not something you can be apathetic about. Apathy is killing the church today. Apathy means a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Put simply, it means we don't care that much. We want to follow Jesus, but we aren't willing to give up our busy schedules. We want to go to heaven when we die, but we don't want to suffer along the way. We want to make an impact in the world, but we don't want to even talk to people about Jesus. That's because we're being conformed to the world. We often look more like our political party than we do Jesus. We care more about our personal tribe than we do the church. And we become no different than the lost culture we say we want to reach. To know and believe and trust in the gospel is to be transformed by the gospel. We have all the power we need if we will just go to the source. Every night before I go to bed, I plug my phone in to be charged for the next day. But one morning a few weeks ago, I woke up and my phone was almost dead after being plugged in all night. I thought, man, what in the world? My phone's broken and... I can't afford to get a new phone. They're so expensive, and I was panicking. And then I realized that 
my charger was not plugged into the wall. <laughs> Friends, we know where the power is. It's not in our own ability or our own personal morality or some sort of religious effort. The power is in the gospel. It's in Jesus and what he's done. So if you want the joy and the peace and the hope that life can bring, plug into the power source. If you want to live a life that matters, if you want to do something meaningful with this little blip of time we have on earth, plug into the gospel. I'm not ashamed because of the gospel's transformation. That's the fourth part. And that's the book of Romans. So here's the question I want to leave you with today. Do you believe it? We didn't preach through this book so you could pass a pop quiz. Or so we could fill our brains with some Bible knowledge. We, we studied through this book because we believe it's the word of God and it's the key to life. So what about you? Do you believe what Romans says? Is this real for you? Or is it just something nice to think about on Sundays? I first believed when I was seven years old. I remember hearing some of these very verses, these, these ideas. And I believed that I was a sinner who had fallen short of the glory of God. I believed that the wages of my sin was death. I deserved that. I believed that I was an enemy of God and deserved to be eternally separated from him. But I also believed that Jesus was my redeemer who was sent to save me. I believed that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I believed that my justification was owed to his death and resurrection. I believed that simple faith would change me forever. And I believed that trusting in Jesus would mean there is now no condemnation for me and that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ. And I still believe those things today. In fact, I believe them now more than ever. Because I've seen enough of this world to know that's all I've got. I am holding on to no other hope. So, man, this is not just some book to me. This is not just some words on a page, some facts to memorize, some cool thing to do. This is what I'm banking my life on. My eternity, my death, everything. What about you? Do you believe this? Do you trust in this? Here's the good news. You can do that today. I don't care who you are or where you've been, what you've done, what life has been like for you. The gospel is the power of salvation for everyone who believes. So let me ask you, will you believe today? Let's bow our head and close our eyes.